What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the America's Pastime Podcast, Season 1, Episode 110. Jeremy and Travis and the lockout has finally arrived. We've been talking about it in baseball for years now, that this would potentially happen. And finally, reality has set in. The players and owners could not come to an agreement on a new collective bargaining agreement before the December 2nd deadline. And so MLB players are henceforth no longer, I guess you can say, employed until a new collective bargaining agreement is struck. So they will not be allowed to use any MLB facilities, contact MLB employees, be referred to as MLB employees at the current moment, or receive compensation. So first of all, Travis, what are your thoughts on this whole lockout situation? And do you think it's going to get resolved in time for the season? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I mean... I don't like, I mean, everybody saw this coming. It it wasn't like a shock. It didn't happen in the middle of the season. Right. Um, I, I'm not really surprised because this is what people have been talking about for the past, like three months, ever since the world series ended, everybody just shifted to the lockout that's impending. And I mean, honestly, I'm kind of a fan of it happening because the last three days have been absolute madness and I've loved it with all the, like my phone has not stopped ringing and buzzing from, you know, all the transactions that have happened. Um, and in terms of, do I think it'll be solved? Yes. Um, like the people may think the owners and the players association are stupid. Um, but I mean, they understand that there's a lot of money to be lost if they don't resolve this. I mean, obviously the season will happen, um, but, you know, the players want to get paid. They want to have a season, right? So whether this ends in a month or a week before spring training starts, it will get resolved. Um, I mean, we saw it with the COVID negotiations, right? Like they went on for three months everybody was like, Oh, we're not going to have a season. We had a season because again, there's so much money to be made from these, you know, these owners that at the end of the day, they'll get talked down to accepting whatever offer it is that's made to them by the MLB and vice versa. Right. Like they'll come to a, a, an agreement point. That was the one thing that I did agree about with Manfred's uh, letter to the fans. I quickly skimmed over it and he said, we will come to an agreement. Yes, they will. Because anybody in their right mind would um yeah i the the other thing i've i've seen about this is um people have kind of been overreacting to it in my opinion um i i saw this post on instagram and i forget exactly what it said but it was something along the lines of um the ML, the players association and the owners both want money and then the fans are the ones who are really getting screwed over um I mean, no, as of right now, fans aren't getting screwed over. It's December. We don't usually have baseball in December. Um, I don't really know what people are saying. Uh, like, I don't, I don't really understand that because um, people are acting like this is going to leak into the season and it's going to push the season back or something like that, or it's going to affect the season in some way and the fans and whatever. I mean, like I said before, I think it's going to get solved before the before the season starts. And I really don't think anybody's got anything to complain about. And worst case scenario, 
everything gets resolved a week before spring training and we just have madness for another week again. I like, I mean, I don't see any issue with it at all. So you're taking an optimistic view and you think it's going to get settled and we're just, we're just going to have another free agent. We're going to have free agent frenzy part two. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, look at how long I, I know the COVID negotiations or whatever you want to call them were, you know, uh, on a slightly different topic, but it was relatively the same thing. It was how much do the owners want to, or how much are the owners willing to pay the players and how much are the payers there, the players willing to take as a pay cut for missing part of the season. Right. Um, those were done in like three months, three months makes us, makes it March. I mean, I know spring training has been pushed up a little bit, but worst case scenario, spring training gets pushed back a week or two. Like, I, I really don't think um, this is going to, um, you know, take a very long time. I don't think it's going to impact the season. I know I've said that quite a few times already, but, and, and here's the other thing. It's currently December 2nd when we um, are recording this. The Players Association and the MLB aren't going to be very, um, or, or like rushed or they're not going to feel a sense of urgency to come to an agreement yet because again it is december once we come into the new year and it becomes january and then people go oh next month pitchers and catchers have to report to spring training then there's going to be that kick and you're going to start having your twitter feed blowing up with updates on the negotiations and stuff like that negotiations are going to happen in december but they're not going to be serious the serious ones are going to happen in january and then that's when people are going to start you know taking things seriously. Um, I don't really think um, like, I, I, well, I think people are going to freak out in December because they're going to say that people aren't taking this seriously. I put that in quotations. Um, but I mean, that's just because they're not in a rush and they really aren't taking things seriously. Right. But that doesn't mean that it's going to impact the season because again, things are going to get more serious in January and February. I also think we'll have plenty to talk about down the road with this because nothing's going to be going on in baseball. So some details are going to trickle out from both sides, trying to make the other side look bad in terms of what exactly they want. Now, something to keep in mind here too, is that the MLB players union has a treasure chest just in case this stretches into the period when the players get paid, I believe they get paid starting in spring training when they're, when they report. So they'll be fine for a few months if they have to be. And the owners are going to really be getting hit hard when there are no games, just like they did during that COVID season. That was the, the owners were faced with a reality that they did not like in that season where they were losing hundreds of millions of dollars. They do not want that again. They can't afford to have that happen again over the stretch of two years. So Ultimately, I think that the players have the power here because without them, nothing happens. And they'll come to some resolution in due time once they get over their egos on both sides. And that's what I mean, right? Like, that's what I meant by when I brought up the COVID negotiations. Like, we've already been through this before. The owners don't want to go through it again. And like you said, the players have the, the advantage in, in this string of negotiations. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't really think anything's going to be serious in December and then come the new year, they'll kind of drop their egos and go, all right, 
we've lost enough money. Let's kind of get things on our, on its way. Remember they wanted to start this season a month late, but play, but pay the players their full salary because the owners didn't want to lose money on people not coming to the games for the month of April until they start opening the stadiums to, up to a higher capacity. Yeah, I think it's I like, remember that's that. The it type was of something people like these that. Guys yeah. are. Keep that in mind. Yeah. So, anyways, moving on to the more fun stuff, the fun stuff that happened before this forced deadline. Javier Baez, since we last spoke on the podcast, I guess, we're, we're pretty much starting off from where we left off in episode 109. So if you want to catch up and, and line up and kind of just play one after the other, you could play episode, season one, episode 109. That's where we started with the free agent frenzy. And this is kind of a part two to that. So I believe it was Wednesday morning we said Javier Baez signed a contract with the Tigers. Six years, $140 million, but with an opt-out after two seasons. So the Tigers get their shortstop. They were looking for a strong shortstop coming into the offseason. We thought Carlos Correa could possibly go there. That is definitely not happening. At this point, they're, they're set in that regard. They have a, a full infield to begin with. So, Travis, what did you think of the signing? I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, uh, I had some interesting uh, takes on it. I was talking uh, to my roommate about it a little bit, um, uh, you know, when it first happened. But good on him. For, for getting that contract. I mean, I think he's getting paid, what, 22-something million in that range. He's getting paid 20-plus million a year to play for the Tigers. Good for him, right? He got that contract. Do I think he's worth it? No. Um, from a publicity standpoint, he's great to have on your team. I mean, he's going to make the flashy plays. He's going to sell jerseys. He's going to sell tickets because um, he's Javier Baez, right? He's got the swag, the drip, whatever you want to call it. Um, but does that kind of carry forward to his on-field production? Not so much, right? He's a below average defender. Um, he gets all the attention because he makes the hard plays look easy, but I mean, he screws up all the easy ones, right? So he's a glorified shortstop is what he is. And at the plate, he's, he should be hitting towards the bottom of the order, but because he's Javier Baez, he hits in like the two, three spot because he can occasionally hit the ball hard. Um, I mean, he strikes out way too much and does not walk enough. He swings out of his shoes all the time at pitches that, you know, should otherwise be taken. Just terrible plate discipline um, and not as good as everybody thinks he is. And I personally don't think he's worth, uh, from, from a player standpoint, I don't think he's worth 22.6 million. Do I think, I think it's 22.6. I could be wrong. Um, but do I think the Tigers will make back all that money that they're paying him just from the publicity he's going to bring? Absolutely. But do I think Baez is going to help the Tigers win a championship? I don't think so. I'm not so harsh. I'm not as harsh on Baez as you are because what I saw when he came to the Mets is that he does have it within him to be more disciplined, to be a better all-around player. And I do agree. I don't like him as a shortstop. I think that that as a second baseman, he is elite as yes. we, again, as we saw with the Mets, but as a shortstop, he is average at best. You, you summed him up perfectly that he makes the, some flashy plays. He messes up far too many due to lack of concentration, time, trying to be showboaty. Uh, and I mean, maybe he can mature now going into his late twenties and early thirties 
and stop with all that nonsense. I don't know who, who, I mean, but then again, he changed when he came to the Mets in terms of his plate discipline. So maybe he can change in other ways as well. I think that you're looking at Baez, you know, an opt-out after two seasons, you're hoping with the Tigers for the Tigers. They're probably hoping that he just balls out for the next two seasons, does pretty much what he did this year. If you look at what he did this year, perfectly fine for war season. And then he opts out after two seasons and he goes back in the free agent market, probably as a second baseman, probably marketing himself as a premier second baseman, similar to Marcus Simeon, I guess you can say in a way. And uh, he gets his, his big payday more than this. And then uh, the Tigers can either use Isaac Paredes as a shortstop or they'll, or they'll find another shortstop at that point. But as a stopgap, as uh, essentially as a two-year deal, I think that you could do a lot worse if you're the Tigers. And this deal now allows them, with all the space that they have left, to in the, in the following seasons really up the ante, acquire a, a lot more high-priced players, potentially keep some of their key guys on their team, such as Jaime Candelario, Jonathan Scope, extend him beyond next year. Uh, the right fielder, why am I forgetting his name? They have Grossman? Grossman, I'm not sure yes. If he, yeah. Yes, Grossman, probably extend him as well. So this allows them more flexibility than a career contract would have. And I think that's why they went this way. And they preferred Baez over Story, over Simeon, uh, I guess over Seager as well at that price. They targeted Baez, so they have a reason. And uh, the Tigers are a pretty analytically based team. So I'm trusting where they're going with because they had the pick of the litter. They went with Baez. Yeah, definitely. And when you put it that way, it definitely does seem a little um, interesting that out of all the big name shortstops, they chose Javier Baez, um, who was kind of regarded as, you know, the fourth best of, you know, the available shortstops on the market or fifth, I guess, if you include Semyon. But um, yeah, I guess when, it, when you also put it um, in, the, in the perspective that you, you shared a, a few minutes ago with, you know, the positional flexibility and look at their farm system and the guys they have coming up with the two-year opt-out, it does make sense because um, I think out of all those guys, you know, the other four guys, he is the only one who would be willing to sign a six-year deal with the opt-out after two years, you know, and who would probably opt out of that deal. I think most of those guys are just looking to, get their $100 million contract and just soak up every dollar of it. Um, so, I mean, yes, it, it does make sense. But again, at the same time, I'm just a little bit, you know, I, it, the market determined what his value was. His value, Everybody knew he was going to get 20 plus, but I mean, I still don't think he's worth it. And also, you also mentioned that you think he can uh, mature. I definitely think he can mature. If he can mature at the plate and defensively, I think he could be like, I mean, I'm not saying he's a terrible player, but like he could be a legit all-star superstar caliber player. If he can strike out, like I think past two seasons, he struck out over 30% um, and his career K percentage is 28.4. If he can bring that down to say, I don't know, 22 like low 20s 20 preferably and get his walk percentage up to 10 yeah I mean naturally if you do that your plate discipline is going to improve and you're probably going to start hitting better pitches 
you know, I think he could get a lot better. And if he can just mature defensively and kind of throw his ego aside and just make the good plays, you know, he could be a premier shortstop. But like you said, um, he will definitely, he would likely opt out after two years and market himself as a second baseman and get that $100 million contract similar to what Semyon did. It's certainly going to improve the Tigers next season because he is still an above average offensive and defensive player despite his deficiencies. So I would call it a solid move for the Tigers. A bunch of other signings happen as well. The next biggest signing in terms of dollar value was Marcus Stroman signing with the Chicago Cubs for three years, $71 million, with an opt-out after two years. Additionally, the Cubs signed Clint Frazier to a one-year deal. He was non-tender, DFA'd rather, by the Yankees when they had to clear a 40-man spot. And they also signed Jan Gomes for two years, $13 million, plus a $6 million option. So a lot of places to go here. First, we'll start with the big one. Marcus Stroman doesn't get that five-year, $100 million contract. We all pretty much thought he would coming into the offseason. He probably thought he did as well. He put some not-so-great tweets out there on his Twitter that may have depressed his market, may have depressed his value. The Cubs have been opportunistic this offseason. That's the way I would describe them. They swoop in for what's a deal, essentially, for Stroman. He gets an opt-out after two years. He can go back in the free agent market. But the Cubs might be looking to deal him. I think that's part of the reason why they also uh, could potentially try and compete the year after next or at least be better next season than they were this year. They're looking for a quick turnaround, and Stroman provides all that plus rotational stability. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting the Cubs make a trade like this – or, sorry, a a signing like this just because, I mean – they're the Cubs. They're not going to be good for another couple of years. Um, they're, they're not really in a position to make a signing like this. But like you said, you know, the, the structure of the contract, I believe, is 25, 25, 21. And then there's some incentive increases um, for innings pitched, I believe, that can bring it up to 27, 27, 23, I think. Um, but regardless, um, it is a steal for Stroman. He pitched very well last year. He pitched pretty good the year before, I believe, off the top of my head. Um, like, he's a good pitcher. He's a solid pitcher. Like you said, he'll complement um, uh, Kyle Hendricks at the the one-two in that rotation. Um, and I think he's great for, for you know, a trade bait piece. Um, he's got a team-friendly contract. Um and I think also the Cubs kind of just saw this as an opportunity to get a quality pitcher for cheap because his market, like you said, might've been um, impacted by those tweets he sent out um, earlier in the season or sorry, not earlier in the season, earlier in the off season. Um, I, I actually kind of laughed when uh, I got the tweet that he went to the Cubs um, just because he is, don't get me wrong. He's a great player, but on social media he's almost like a trevor bauer wannabe um he he desire he wants this social media presence so bad and he wants all this attention and i really thought he was going to go to a contender at least stay with the mets right i don't know if the mets wanted him i know there was again some tweets that he sent out about bashing the mets because they were going for scherzer i mean personally i would go for scherzer over stroman any day of the week but 
you know, that's beyond me. Um, but yeah, I, I think he, I, I really thought he was going to go to a contender just because that's where the spotlight was going to be. I definitely could have seen him going to the angels. I definitely could have seen him maybe not going to the Dodgers. I don't know if the Dodgers could afford him or would want to put him in their rotation just because of the guys they already had, but you know, somewhere in LA that gets a ton of attention or another contending team where he could just be the spotlight and have all the attention he wants and grow his presence on the internet, sort of like what Trevor Bauer did. Right. Um, so just to see him going to the Cubs who are going to be fighting to stay out of last place in the NL central this year. Um, I think they'll be better than the pirates, but you never know. We'll see. Um, it's, it was just a shock to me and I, I found it a little bit funny um, just to see him kind of degrade himself to that extent, in my opinion. Um, but at the same time, great signing for the Cubs. He got, a pretty sizable amount of money. I mean, he'll make 50 million sort of comparable to Justin Verlander's contract. Um, he'll make 50 million over two years, which is a great amount of money. And he'll hit the market again at age 32, I believe um, 32, 33, something like that. And he'll get, he might not get five years, a hundred million, but he'll get that equivalent in say maybe a three, four year deal um, just because he's getting a little bit older. And unless he pitches great over these next two seasons, and then who knows, maybe he will get a five-year deal, but we'll see. Yeah. The Cubs have had an interesting off season for a team that's not trying to compete at the current moment. They for also sure. picked up Wade Miley when they, when he fell on their lap, they picked up, um, what is his name? Harold Ramirez, who was non-tendered Clint Frazier. Now another outfielder they're picking up guys off the scrap heap. And they also signed Jan Gomes, to a two-year $13 million contract, which I mentioned, which is interesting because they have Wilson Contreras. And this makes you think, if you're signing Young Gomes for that kind of money, he is a starting catcher still at this point, at least a guy who's going to catch a majority of your games if you have some lefty-righty split, whatever you want to do. He's still a very solid option. So to me, it looked like they maybe had a trade for Wilson Contreras in place or they're or they were trying to corner the market and get rid of a valuable alternative to Contreras so that another team would be forced to trade for Contreras. I don't know what exactly their aim was, but to me, when I look around the league, I don't really see uh, an obvious trade partner for Contreras. All the teams that would have been obvious, like the Yankees, brought back Gary Sanchez, the Marlins, they traded for Jacob Stallings. Um, I can't even think of any other teams, really, off the top of my head, because the I mean, the Braves, they brought in uh, Manny Pena. The Brewers brought in an alternative to replace Pena. All the other teams in the league basically have their catcher situations sorted out. So, or they're, or they're not in a position to trade for Contreras. Yeah, what, what do you think about that? And could the Cubs potentially have just screwed themselves? I, I wouldn't say that the Cubs have screwed themselves. I mean... I, I've said this before. They're not in a position to win this year. I mean, they're, they're going to be a bag of misfit toys is what they're going to be, right? Like with all their non-tender signings and um, or like the guys who have signing the guys who have been non-tendered by other teams and kind of signing Strowman and Gomes out of the blue and claiming Miley off uh, waivers from uh, from the uh, from the Reds. Yeah, I. I'm a little confused as well. 
Um, I, I don't think they've screwed themselves. Like I said, I mean, obviously Contreras is going to be the starter. Gomes is great. As you mentioned, um, he can still catch, you know, 90 games for you or something in that extent, maybe even actually, I'd say more than 90, maybe like hundred, 120, something like that. No, 120 is pushing it, but still, um, never mind. Um, <laughs> he's a valuable catcher is yeah, what I'm yeah. trying to say, right? He'll catch the bulk of games for you in the season. Um, he'll be a great compliment to Contreras. I mean, like I said, Contreras is above average hitter. He's an elite defending catcher. Um, I, I think there's a lot of teams that would love to have him, but like you said, I mean, he's it's just any team that would want to trade for him either doesn't have a need to, or just doesn't want to give up what it would cost to get him. Right. Cause the Cubs aren't going to give him away for free. Um, but I mean, I don't think this Gomes signing is really going to shock the Cubs because I mean that 13 million that they're paying him over two seasons isn't going to like destroy their, you know, their payroll or anything. Right. So if this does end up being a stupid signing for them, they're not going to be competitive in two years and they're not going to have a massive payroll in two years. So, you know, especially with them losing Rizzo and probably Bryant, they've lost Baez, um, Peterson, you know, all those big name guys who have big contracts or are getting paid a lot of money. They're off their payroll. So they lost really Zobris. They lost Zobris as well. Yep. <laughs> a few years ago, but yep. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I get, I get your point. Yeah, um, you know, what they can also do is hold on to Contreras and see if a catcher gets hurt midseason or... Exactly. I, I'm sure there'll be a, a trade partner come the trade deadline because some contender will not be happy with their young catcher they had going into the season, like Cal Raleigh in Seattle or or like Jonah Heim or, or Huff in Texas or maybe the Mets are, are sick of James McCann and want... Someone will want a replacement just to, for that last 60 games put themselves over the edge and the price will have dropped. So I think that they shouldn't sell low on Contreras knowing that, that, that other clubs know the position they're in with Gomes on the roster, that they're really looking to trade him and probably just hold on to him and wait and just let the two of them split it. They're going to have the DH probably Contreras can play other positions. Actually, you can, you can put him in the outfield if you really needed to. So yeah, hold on to it. And then uh, not a bad thing, not, not a, a bad situation to have, two good catchers i'm not sure how fast he is but he would be an elite right fielder with that arm yeah he could play in the offense. nobody would run on him i'm pretty sure he's been out there before i need you to look that up for me all right let's let's find out i need to know but moving on to the los angeles angels they've been quite busy this offseason in the pitching department and they decided to bring back Rizel Iglesias, their stud closer, top five closer in baseball. He was offered the qualifying offer. He rejected it. But in turn, he received a long-term contract, four years, $56 million, a pretty large contract, one of the largest contracts ever for a reliever. And now that Angels bullpen is looking pretty solid. They brought in Aaron Loop. They have Michael Lorenzen. They, I don't know. They want to start him. I don't know what the fuck they're doing there. But they, they have some solid back-end arms now, and the Angels need to continue adding pitchers. But this is a good start for them between Syndergaard, Lorenzen, Loop, and Iglesias, all four solid average to well-above-average arms. 
Absolutely. How how much was the was the deal for? I was looking up the Contreras. Has he played in the outfield? Uh, yeah, he has. So in 2019 was the last time he played in the outfield, and he had three appearances: two in right field, one in left field. The year before, he made five in the outfield and left field. Uh, and then in 2017, the year after that, he made six outfield appearances: two in right field, two in left field. And then the year before that, in 2016, the year they won the World Series, he made 24 appearances in left field and only 57 catching. But I believe that was because they still had David Ross and he was their primary catcher. So they needed... They, they had Schwarber too. I or think. Schwarber as well. I mean, Schwarber yeah, so they kind of had those... Def- Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was a while ago, eh? <laughs> but they had like three ca- three guys who could catch on their roster, yeah. right? And they kind of had to balance that. And I believe David Ross was the was the starting catcher and then Schwarber was kind of the backup and Contreras was the misfit. I think, I think they had a three catcher system. Well, like you said, cause 50 something games. So it's about right. a third of the games. Contreras came up later in the year, I want to say, but uh, David Ross was the personal catcher to John Lester. So he had to start all yes. those games. And then, and then I assume Schwarber started some other ones and then Contreras so on. But, but anyways, yeah. So he can definitely play out there in the outfield. That is definitely an option. I'm sure they're thinking of that, and they'll probably give him some reps out there. Assuming he's still on the team, come spring training, and some team in need of a catcher doesn't step up and just acquire him for the sake of improving. Uh, but going back to Iglesias, four years, $56 million, like I said. So the Angels shoring up that bullpen, which was a, a sore spot for them last season, one of the main reasons besides their inadequate back-end starting pitching, that bullpen was – pretty horrid besides Iglesias so good on them for showing that up but they have a lot more work to do yeah for sure I mean good on Iglesias for getting his money I mean he's not quite making what the qualifying offer would have paid him but I mean he's making significantly more than that over four seasons he's locked up he'll be a force for the Angels for you know the four years assuming he doesn't get traded which I don't think he will you mentioned they also signed Lorenzen who I don't know what's really going on with him again. Um, he, he could start, he can start, he can come out of the bullpen. He came out of the bullpen for, he was kind of a failed starting experiment for, for the, the Reds. He was a two-way player at one point. So I'm not sure what the angels want to do with that, considering they already have Otani, who's a two-way player. I don't think they'll use him as a two-way player. Um, I think they'll just uh, pitch him, but um, yeah, I, I, don't think he will start too often for them. I think he'll kind of be the bullpen guy who gets the occasional spot start when they kind of have a hole uh, in the, in the, in the, you know, the rotation. Um, But I mean, he's been decent. I think he's been average to above average, um, you know, in relief appearances with the reds. So uh, I, I mean, I think it's a good signing and I think they got him cheap as well. So, I mean, it's, a step in the right direction for that Angels bullpen, for sure. Um, getting Iglesias and uh, Lorenzen, absolutely. Angels need to add at least one more starter because right now the rotation's line. They're going to go for a six-man rotation. So right now the rotation's lining up for Otani, Cindergaard, I assume Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers, uh, the prospect who came up at the end of last season. Uh, they still have Griffin Canning as an option. Um I feel like I'm forgetting someone. 
But yeah, they the, had Heaney, but they traded him to the Yankees, and he's now on the Dodgers. Hold on, one second. I need I need to find this out. Okay, so their rotation options going into next season. They're gonna have some. Oh, I'm stalling as this is loading. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> All right, so they'll have some combination of um, Jose Suarez actually came up. Forgot about him. He was mm-hmm. game. He came up and did pretty. He was pretty solid for them. Um, their bullpen next season, they still have Mike Myers. They actually tendered him a contract. Uh, and then beyond that, um, Jaime Berea is also a starting option, I suppose. And then the guys we talked about who they picked up in the bullpen. Reed Detmers and yeah, they're gonna have to add a couple more starters because this is there's just not enough depth here. But I'm sure they'll do that. They've been fairly active. So we'll see what the Angels do. But moving on to another team that uh has been I would say somewhat active. They've lost a couple of big players, obviously, but they brought back a key free agent, and that is Chris Taylor signing back with the Dodgers four years, 60 million with a fifth-year club option for $13 million. Dodgers have also added Andrew Heaney this offseason. So, yeah, they've lost Max Scherzer. They have lost Corey Seager, huge subtractions. But the Dodgers are not just going to sit around and do nothing and lose all of their players. They're the Dodgers for a reason. They've been the best team in baseball for the last decade for a reason. And they bring back a key player over the last – five, six years for them, a guy who has played pretty much every position besides pitching. I'm I'm sure he could probably pitch too. So Chris Taylor back on the Dodgers and the deal he got for your 60 million. I think that's fair. I kind of thought he would get more quite honestly, because I thought so many teams would be interested in him. I think he actually took a little bit less to go back to the Dodgers. He really likes playing there. He does well there. So good for him. And that fifth year option for 13 million club option should the Dodgers want to bring him back for a fifth season? Absolutely. I mean, it's exactly like what we talked about a few podcasts ago. When I believe it was uh, the qualifying offer one where we kind of went through all the guys who uh, were offered a qualifying offer by their team, and we kind of decided what we thought they would do. We said Taylor was going to reject the qualifying offer, and he would sign a contract with somebody for a little bit less than the $18 million. But in total, again, similar to the Iglesias contract, it would be significantly more than the $18 million he'd make in one season. And, I mean, Taylor's played for the Dodgers for his whole career, I believe. Um, but nevertheless, he's, he's lived there for the past few seasons or, like, you know, the past few seasons in recent memory. So, I mean, he's got a home there. I'm sure his family's happy. It just means he doesn't have to get up and move, and he's still getting paid $60 million, like – who doesn't want to get paid $60 million. Right. So, but yeah, he's Mr. Utility on the field. He'll play pretty much every outfield position. He can play second base. He can play third base. Um, I'm sure he can play first base as well. I think the only position we haven't seen him play actually, no, I'm sure he's played shortstop as well. So he'll play every infield position except for pitcher and catcher for you. Um, Primarily he's going to play in the outfield, but I'm sure he could make, the occasional start at second uh, or third, if something happens. Um, and I mean, just a quick little thing on the Dodgers. Like, I mean, they didn't win. 
um, they, they lost the Braves uh, with Scherzer and Seager. So I don't really think that Braves team was that great. Um, and I think the Dodgers in, you know, do that series again, minus Scherzer and Seager. I think the Dodgers would have won for sure. Um, without those two guys that's how good their team is and I really don't think that even to the Dodgers losing those two guys is you know an earth-shattering um, you know moment where they they need to run out and and find somebody because they already have Trey Turner um, Gavin Lux will play second I don't know how great he is but again they have the depth they have the positional flexibility I don't think they're in the rush to you know go out and sign Carlos Crea, for example, to play shortstop for them. Um, you know, that sort of thing. I, I don't think they're in a rush to go get another superstar uh, starter or shortstop. Um, and I mean, you look at their rotation, they can easily fill uh, Scherzer's spot with another quality arm. No issue. So. Yeah. They just signed a utility man to a 60, uh, $60 million deal, which is pretty exactly. crazy to think about, but he is really important to that team. He thrives on that team with his versatility. When you look at their outfield, it's going to be Pollock, probably Bellinger, and then Betts, and then their infield is still going to be Muncie. Lux, you mentioned, I guess Taylor will fill in there at second. Taylor could play a little bit of third probably as well. I don't know how much he really plays there too much. I'm sure you could do it. Justin Turner is still there. They're going to have the DH. So Dodgers keeping their options open. Rios is an option as well. Young third baseman. So, yeah. If you think the Dodgers are not going to be good, then uh, then you uh, don't know what you're talking about. They also signed Daniel Hudson. I forgot to mention that as well. He's uh, really solid. Really, we mentioned in the last podcast, but yeah, the Dodgers are not doing nothing this offseason. They're not just sitting on their hands uh, like some other teams with the <laughs> Yankees. Um, they know what they're doing. The yeah. the Dodgers know what they're doing. Um, unlike some other teams, the Dodgers know what they're doing, and they're making these signings for a reason. And there's probably a reason like I said before, that they haven't gone out and signed another big name free agent to fill this gap because they're confident with the guys they have and they're very analytical. So, yeah. Speaking of another team that uh, I think they know what they're doing. I would, I would say so. Boston Red Sox made a couple Mm -hmm. of uh, weird rotation signings. I guess you can call them. They signed Rich Hill to a one-year $5 million deal. And then they also signed James Paxton to a one-year $10 million deal with a two-year option. So that's an option where if they exercise it, they get him for two more seasons. It's a team option, which is a very interesting contract. Something you don't see very often. The other, only other one I could think of was Yusei Kikuchi's four-year option that the Mariners turned down. Um, so, Yeah. They bring in a couple of left-handed starting pitchers. So now their rotation along with Waka is pretty much set. They have a lot of options. I'll give them that. So they have Sale, Eovaldi, Pavetta, Waka, Tanner Hook. Uh, Garrett Woodlock could possibly start. I know he came out of the pen last year. And then Hill and Paxton. Paxton will not be back until midseason because he had Tommy John surgery. But they were willing to give him $10 million, I guess, to have the luxury of keeping him for two more years after. That was the reason why they gave him $10 million, even though he didn't even pitch last year. He pitched, what, like a couple couple starts. So what did you think of these rotation additions? Because to me, I feel like they could have just signed Eduardo Rodriguez instead of 
going weird here. <laughs> I, I think it's a very weird situation because you also mentioned, right, they have Pavetta, Hoop, and I know Whitlock is – I don't want to call him a failed starter because he hasn't been in the league for that long to be considered that. But, I mean, they started him in the minor leagues, I believe. I was talking to my buddy who's a diehard Red Sox fan. Starting the minor leagues didn't work out too well, became an elite relief pitcher, and I think they'll try and start him again, something like that. But I'm looking at him as more of a, a relief pitcher right now. But again, you have, is it Hook or Hauk? I want to say Hauk. Okay, That's we'll call him Hauk. Apologies, Tanner. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, you have Hauk, who's been absolutely disgusting since he's been in the league. And I seriously thought that them not signing Rodriguez was them going all in on how, because you have Chris sale and then you have righty Chris sale, which is how <laughs> like, I mean, their motions are literally identical just from the opposite side of the rubber. Well, I guess not opposite side of the rubber, but from, you know, with the opposite arm, um, I don't know why they went out and signed these guys. I understand Hauk is probably going to start for Paxton until Paxton comes back, like you mentioned. Um, but I don't know why they went out and signed Waka and um, who's the other guy? Rich Hill. Rich Hill. So weird to me because um, Rich Hill's going to want to start. Waka's going to want to start. Um, One of them I, at I, least is going to move to the bullpen. And you, you, can't, you can't forget that Pavetta had a career year last year. Like, yeah, he'll be in the rotation. I, I I think that Rich Hill, he's a he's a Massachusetts native, so I don't think he really, he, he's he, and he's a really good teammate. Uh, I know with the Mets, like they, he was willing to do anything really. He I don't think he he cares all that much, especially mm. pitching for his hometown team like that. That's that's a privilege for him. Uh, as long as he can win, he's a really competitive right. guy, and then. In terms of Waka, he's more of a swingman. That's a, it's similar to Lorenzen, I guess, in a way. Mm, yeah, paid the same exact amount of money, uh, and he could come out and be a multi-inning reliever. He can be an opener. You can really do whatever with Michael Waka. I don't know why teams keep signing him, but you can really do whatever with him. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue. I think that they're really looking at Paxton to come back and be their fifth starter, uh, and then just have Waka and Hill kind of piggyback for the first. Like to, together combined, they can be a really, really uh, off-putting combo because righty and lefty like that, and the, Hill has that curveball, and then Waka has his cutter and, and all that. So, yeah, I think that's what they're going for here. And um, interesting plan, but you know the Red Sox know what they're doing. I, I'll give them cre- I'll give them credit for for that. Heim Bloom is a really solid executive, so I'm going to trust them here. No, you are right. When you when you put it like that, I guess I kind of made the assumption that they were signing all those guys to, you know, start for them because they are all starters, I guess. Um, but no, when 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 you put it like that, I guess Rich Hill is I, I think Rich Hill, um not Paxton, but uh Waka and um the other guy, I keep forgetting their names. Um, are kind of all going to adopt that Michael Lorenzen role where they're primarily going to be in the bullpen, but they can come and start for you because they were starters. And then obviously you're going to buy in on your young guys who have been great for you so far, as in how can Pavetta and then Paxton, like you said, is going to be that fifth starter. But yeah, those guys can definitely come in and make spot starts when needed for sure. 
different way of doing things for sure. Absolutely. Uh, to, to quicken the pace here a little bit, just, um, just to want to touch on before we just name off a bunch of signings and just look at them as a bulk. Uh, Joey Wendell was traded to the Marlins for outfield prospects for, for outfield prospect, Cameron Misner, who was a pretty solid prospect. So the Marlins just continue to add. They already signed Avisel Garcia. They traded for Jacob Stallings. Now they add Joey Wendell. I know that they're going to add another bat somewhere. So I'm starting to dig the Marlins a little bit here because with all their pitching, I mean, I think I, I texted in the group chat, I think yesterday or something like that. They have like, they have like a million pitching options going into next season. Sixto is going to be healthy. And then they have, you know, do I, do I want to name all of them right now? I won't even try. I, won't even I try. wouldn't. No, it's, it's not worth it. They have arms on arms on arms on yeah, arms. They have arms so. Yeah, exactly. So they could trade one of those arms. Still have great depth. Oh, they could trade three starters. of them and still be fine. <laughs> yeah. They're 10 starters deep right now. So I think they're going to get a bat in some way, maybe a couple bats if they make a trade. They have a little bit of money to spend. So I think the Marlins are shaping up to be the third place team in this NL East. And then, you know, possibly a wild card contender, similar to where they, what they were in the 2020 season. Absolutely. I'm a little upset that the Jays didn't make a play for Zach Thompson because I think he could be an elite fifth starter for them. Um, but that's beyond me. Cause I know they were trying to flip Kirk for some pitching, but anyways, I think the Marlins are going to be sneaky good. And the pattern I've noticed with most of the guys they've been acquiring this offseason have been young guys like Joey Wendell still has team control. Um, and he was pretty easy to get because he played for the Rays, right? Jacob Stallings, I believe, still has team control. You look at their infield, the oldest, the, well, the oldest guy is Jesus Aguilar, but he plays first base. So he's kind of irrelevant to me. But if you look at, you know, the left side past first base, you have Jazz Chisholm. You have Miguel Rojas, and I assume Wendell's going to play third for them now. Brian Anderson. Or Brian Anderson as well, right? So you have that flexibility there. Anderson's also pretty young, I think, as well. Yes. And he played in the outfield. So, again, you have lots of positional flexibility. You have lots of young guys who can, you know, definitely. You're right. Yeah, yeah you, you, you definitely. Like, they have tons of flexibility. They have tons of young players who can, you know, move all around the diamond. Um and they're going to be in a great spot for years to come. So I've started to notice a pattern in um, kind of the guys they've been acquiring. So Derek Jeter definitely knows what he's doing up there with the uh, Marlins. Give Kim uh, Ang credit. She's the yeah, as well. I, I was I was about to say I, I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> her last name. That's the issue. Um, and uh, is it Ang? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but she's you know she's a baseball genius. I mean, she also knows what she's doing. I'll, I was gonna say in the rest of the Marlins brain trust up there no i got you i got you you weren't trying to be sexist here come on come on no i wasn't i just didn't know how to pronounce her last name and i've screwed up enough names as it is on this channel already so apologies i i should have mentioned her name before i i apologize no i feel you i feel you that's all right uh, it was one inadvertent more... accidental more... yeah that's right. <laughs> I'll stop cutting you off. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, another trade that happened, and then uh, I'll just name off some signings here. Uh, Hunter Renfro was traded to the Brewers for JBJ and a couple of prospects. So the Brewers clear JB, Jackie Bradley Jr.'s money. They acquire a solid 
starting right fielder who has a couple of years of control. They can put on left field, switch Yelich there, whatever they want to do. They still have low Kane in center field. They have Tyrod Taylor as well who can play in the outfield. They lost Avi Garcia, but I think getting rid of that JPJ contract is, is really good for a team like that because they just don't – well, I, I didn't want to say, you know, in the current lockout climate, saying that they don't have any money because they really do. They're owned by people who are worth hundreds of millions to billions of dollars, but, um, you know, they can't, they can't splurge $10 million to sign, you know, another player. But anyways, as a digress – um, yeah, they don't tend to have a high payroll, so they need to operate in this way. They're kind of the National League Rays at this point. That's how I view them now. They really operate that way. They trade with the Rays every other week. So, um, yeah, they acquire Hunter Renfro. He'll slide in in the middle of their lineup, most likely. They're always looking for more offense. They have the pitching. So, good for the Brewers. Absolutely. I mean, they're trying to improve. Like, I mean, their pitching rotation set from top to bottom they're stacked loaded they're good their bullpen's great like you said they they've adopted they are the only other team aside from the rays that have kind of adopted the rays model of um bullpen usage which is just use a guy for two years until he gets figured out and then dump him and bring in somebody else and they look at the similar metrics anyways um they're kind of looking to uh you know solidify their lineup now and renfro is exactly what they're looking for not going to hit at the top of the lineup. He's going to hit, you know, six and below for them. Um, and, but he's going to give you good outfield defense. He's going to give you some pop at the plate. Uh, we were talking before the podcast about this. You mentioned that he doesn't get on base as much as you like to. But, I mean, for a guy who hits in the bottom third of the order, there's not much you can ask for, you know, from him, um, you know, in terms of getting on base. But he's got the pop. He can decent. He can hit for average pretty well. Um, but the, the thing you're mostly getting him for is his outfield defense didn't show it last year, but has showed it throughout his career and his outfield flexibility as well. I believe he can play all three outfield positions. He's got the speed yeah. and he's got that speed power combo, not to the extent of other guys in the league, but he's got it for sure. So definitely he's a good, um, the filler in, in your, in your lineup. It's not going to be a superstar, but he's going to fill it. And he's going to be better than calling a guy up from your system to kind of fill that spot, right? Yeah, because you can't have all-star. Dan O'Dowd from MLB Network calls them aircraft carriers. No, super, like, top-tier players. You can't have those in every position. And certainly the Brewers can't. And getting a guy like Renfro, two years of control, he's going to to be solid for them. So I I can't argue against it. Also, um, you know, they trade away a couple solid mid-range prospects but they had to get rid of that bradley contract because it was awful and uh good for them for doing that i never really understood why they signed that contract i don't i don't know that's they're not uh, a team that, that yeah. should be signing contracts like those where you have no. a guy who's clearly going to be a surplus and they need offense elsewhere and he doesn't provide any offense i don't know it wasn't a good right. it wasn't a good play it, it was not a contract that they should have signed and those prospects that they traded weren't going to make it to the show anytime soon with the brewers right. just if you look at who they have in the outfield right they're a win now right. team they have to win now i mean they've made right. the playoffs four straight years which has been really impressive they have control of these pitchers for only a couple more years their farm system is not great right now so it's it's balls to the walls for them josh Hader is going to be free agent soon and um yeah they got they got to win now so that's, that's absolutely what this move is all about this absolutely. two-year window basically yep um all right, so I'll start naming. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you do it now. I'll start naming some moves, quick succession. 
Uh, so Travis doesn't fall asleep over here. <laughs> You're all good. You're good. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're going to stay up until like 3 a.m. tonight anyways. <laughs> Probably. Um, okay, so Roberto Perez signed a one-year $5 million deal with the Pirates. They didn't have any catchers on their active roster after tra- trading Jacob Stalling. So he's a filler, and they'll probably just flip him at the trade deadline. He's, he's all right. He's like, whatever. Might as well sign him. Um, the White Sox signed Luri Garcia to a three-year deal. Three years, sixteen million, I believe, was the deal. He's been on them forever. It feels like uh, he's a strong utility player. He had a really solid year last year, so good for them bringing him back. The Orioles signed Udnet Odor, number on that contract. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but uh, bringing him in to be essentially Freddie Galvis of last season, where. They are offering him a starting job. No other MLB team is probably going to offer him a starting job. The salary is going to be quite low. He's still getting paid by the Yankees, I think, um, or by, by the Rangers. I think he's getting paid by the Rangers. So, Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter to him. He's just looking for a starting opportunity and playing time, which the Orioles will present, and he's trying to reestablish his value so that after the season he can uh, get a real contract again. Jorge Alfaro was traded from the Marlins to the Padres. Alfaro's guy who can play a little bit outfield. He's a failed prospect, was once traded for JT Realmuto, is going to be the Marlins catcher of the future that he never became. Plate discipline was not quite there. He was, I mean, his on-base percentage is about as bad as it gets. <laughs> I want you to look that up for me, Travis. I want, I want you to look up Jorge Alfaro's uh, stats. Look at his on-base percentage the last couple of years. Um, he wasn't great defensively either, but the Padres actually originally um, with the Rangers. He was originally in the Rangers. I think he was traded for Cole Hamels, but he um, was originally drafted by A.J. Preller, I think, when A.J. Preller was with the Rangers, ahead of their um, scouting department, I want to say. So he reunites with Alfaro, a player, obviously, that he still likes. He still likes the tools. Matthew Boyd, Richard Rodriguez, were both non-tendered, pretty surprisingly, by the respective teams. So uh, Boyd will be an attractive free agent. He's not going to be back until midseason, but he's an attractive free agent as a back-end left-handed starter. He's been solid. Richard Rodriguez, pretty solid bullpen arm. The Braves traded for at the trade deadline. So he is um, now a free agent. So uh, just quickly, Travis, with this first set of moves, um, any interesting thoughts on any of these guys? Any Anything that caught your eye here? Nothing that caught my eye. Um, I mean, the White Sox bringing back Garcia, I see that as a cheaper version of Chris Sale. I mean, he'll play not as many positions. Or sorry, not Chris Sale, Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor, yes, sorry. Red Sox on my mind. We were just talking about (laughs) them. Um, Yes, Chris Taylor, my bad. Uh, Doesn't play as many, uh, you know, positions in the field. Can definitely play second and third, similar to Taylor, and I believe he can play left field. Um, but again, utility guy, he's going to bounce around, uh, Garcia got a ton of playing time with, uh, Madrigal, uh, ending the season early last year with an injury. Um, yeah, good, good for, um, for the White Sox bringing him back. Uh, he'll just be bench depth. Other than that, not really. I mean, Perez to the Pirates, Pirates are irrelevant this year. Like, you know, they just completely wiped other than, um, Hayes and Reynolds. They're like, you know. They're young stars. They just completely. They've actually signed um, 
a handful of free agents, so, which which surprises me. It's kind they of like have, the but they've also stuff. they've also released Stephen Brault, um, Colin Moran, uh, another starter who was surprisingly cool. Cool, yeah, Chad Cool, yep. Which is surprising because I thought they were decent for for you know the Pirates to fill spots, but I don't know. Uh, but again, Pirates needed a catcher, went out and got Perez. It is what it is. Yeah. Nothing major in my opinion. But you wanted Jorge Alfaro's stats. Um, over the past three years, 4.2 walk percentage, 33K percentage. He has a average of 250, which is respectable for a catcher. An OBP of 0.298, a slugging percentage of 0.386 and a WRC plus of 84 and a war over the past three seasons of 1.6. You know, that, that uh, WRC plus way to runs created plus is actually not bad for a catcher. It's average for a catcher. I didn't know that. <laughs> I did. I guess I, I was basing it off the outfielders who usually have, you know, 120 plus, but are the good ones at least, but no, you're right. I, now, over the past two seasons, it's been below average. It's been 70 and 73. It's, ma- it's mainly been inflated by 2019, in which he had 95. So, What was his war that season? In which one? 19. Uh, 95. That, that's what was inflating his no, kind of average. Uh, out. His, oh, his, his, oh, sorry, his war. His war. My yeah. bad, sorry. Uh, 95. <laughs> 95 war that would be insane um sorry 1.3 all right so he, wasn't uh, but he, had a, he had a great year in philadelphia um in 2018 he had a wrc plus of 126 i don't i'm not sure how many games he played in though uh, 108 so pretty much a full season for a catcher uh plate discipline stayed the same but his war was 3.2 average was 262 I think but anyways, he has the tools. Uh, maybe change of scenery will help him. I, and, I think uh, so, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> He's an interesting guy, though. We'll see. Uh, going back to some more signings, Cesar Hernandez signed a one-year deal with the Nationals. I believe there's an option attached to that as well. That was $4 million, uh, So he's kind of just a, a filler. Uh, similar to, like, I guess that's what bad teams do, like the Orioles, Nationals, not Nationals, the, the, and the Pirates just signing these guys because you need to sign real players to play positions for you. You have to fill holes and they don't have to be good players, but you, you have to pay them something to, you know. Yeah. And you can always flip them at the trade deadline. Exactly. That's what got, like you signed for like one year deal and maybe you get, you can buy prospects essentially. I think that's what they're trying to do pretty much similar yeah. to the Cubs, right? Yeah. But Cubs to a larger extent. And yeah, that's what Cubs a lot of are, teams do. Yeah. The Cubs payroll is actually going to be respectable this year. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah. As, as long as they keep Contreras. If they get rid of Contreras, it'll plummet. But right. uh, I, I think – I'm not sure how much he's getting paid, but I'd imagine he is the most tradable guy on their team, and I'm sure he's getting paid at least $10 million. Yeah. But it's, it's good to see that, like, you can you, – it's similar to the Rangers, but um, you can quicken your rebuild by investing in the team mm-hmm. by, by – in addition to developing prospects, just something to know for the pirates, the Orioles, uh, not being so cheap. 
Um, <laughs> the Mariners reliever Andres Munoz to a four-year deal for the seven million for the four years. Um, Corey Knebel signed with the Phillies, one year, ten million. That one was interesting because he's one of the better relievers on the market, actually. And now in the back of their bullpen, alongside uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez. I believe they still they still need to go out and acquire more, but it's a good start. It is. I mean, they have a gaping hole in their rotation, or not their rotation. Sorry, their um, their bullpen. Like you said, it's a good start. They're going to have to go out and get at least like if they want to be competitive this year and not have their bullpen blow every single game, they're going to have to go out and get at least two or three more quality arms. They still have Jose Alvarado. They still have Coonrod. Um, they still have a couple of other guys. So I, I don't think it's as gaping of a hole. Canable definitely helps, but they should try and bring back Archie Bradley. They should, they should continue to just, uh, yeah, add more arms. Absolutely. That's their main concern right now. Like if I'm in the Phillies front office, I am concerned about adding at least one more quality bullpen arm and then adding one or two more you know, stop gaps or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Additionally, the Diamondbacks signed Mark Melanson to a retirement contract, two years, 14 yep. million. <laughs> what do you think of this one? I just, I thought this was so weird. Um, I mean, it's him deciding that it's him making a business decision, deciding that he's going to prioritize at the end of his career money over a championship. Um, I'm not sure if he's won a championship in his career, but um, I mean, for him, I think he probably had the choice to resign. I believe he was with the Padres last year, right? Yeah, he signed for a very cheap deal. Yes, exactly. So he could have taken a discount and signed with the Padres again. He probably could have gone to the Phillies. Uh, He probably could have gone to quite a few contending teams for a discount, but uh, he decided to go to the Diamondbacks and presumably be their full-time closer for the next two years. And then, like you said, as a retirement contract, he's making $14 million over the next two years, which is quite a lot for a relief pitcher. And I mean, it's a great way for him to end his career. Right. And like I said, it was a business decision. He chose money over winning and, you know, I guess it's what's best for him and his family. So why do you think the D-back signed him? It's weird. uh, That I'm not, sure about because <laughs> it is a large amount of money for a reliever like i we've mentioned this before um with teams usually you go out and get a reliever like him um and pay him that much when you are kind of you know in a position like the white Sox were when they signed Hendricks. um you know you're a contending team the last thing you need is a quality closer um i think the Diamondbacks needed a guy in their bullpen and he was just kind of the best available option that they could get. I don't want to say for a decent price because it was an expensive price, but um, I, they have money to spend. I, that's the, that's the only reason I can come up with is they have money to spend and they decided to blow it on him. Um, and I guess they can always trade him. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, you can trade him to a contender if a contender can afford to pay him $7 million a year. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I guess 
um, uh, in a deeper sense, having a, a veteran to with a bunch of young arms in your bullpen, uh, his leadership. I know he's a very he's a pretty outspoken guy. He's a great clubhouse guy. So having that to your team as well, they have money to spend. It's nice to have a shiny closer to bring some fans to the ballpark, I guess. You know, a number of factors that could explain it. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, all right, cool. Let's, you know, Diamondbacks spend some money. I would say he's the Archie Bradley replacement, um, you know, because the, 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 the Diamondbacks had Bradley for a while. He was that veteran presence, and now you're bringing in Melanson, and it's the same thing. But, yes, it's the, look, we can actually spend money on guys – kind of thing right because they're paying them almost as much as they paid paul goldschmidt because i remember goldschmidt signed that super team friendly contract um, when he was with the diamondbacks so i mean it's them going look we can pay the market price for a, a player look at us kind of thing right like you said but yeah exactly no Anyways, income tax in arizona either yes that's it's the like as in Bumgarner, why he signed with the diamondbacks but that that was a weird contract too it's just kind of like yeah they have money to spend no state income tax. Your, your spring training facility is like five minutes from your stadium. So you don't have to live elsewhere. You can just have one house. Right. It's appealing to old guys is what the Diamondbacks are. Yeah. Because they, they don't have to move their families all the time or go without seeing their families for a month and a half. Yeah. You know. Everything is right there. You can live there in the offseason. You can live there for spring training. You can live there during the season. It's really ideal. Someone to Max Scherzer in a way to to an extent why he because his home, his off season home is in Jupiter he can you know work out at the Mets team facility when there's no lockout uh, it's like a twenty minute drive from from Jupiter and then during the season uh, if he needs to you know he it's a it's a quick flight uh, Miami is not far from there so when the Mets are visiting Miami it, it works out decently well. But this to a greater extent, no question. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's literally as much of a retirement contract as you can get. Large amount of money, no state income tax, only need to have one house. Like, I mean, Arizona's turning into the uh, retirement home of the MLB is what it is. I mean, you got Bumgarner and Melanson. You know, next year they might go out and sign Poolhouse. Who knows? And bring back Zach Greinke. Yeah, we're Granky as well. Yeah. <laughs> Bring him back, baby. That would be funny. That would be really funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why he signed there, too, to an extent. When he signed a humongous contract. Yeah. It's a really good, yeah. They they have an event, they have a competitive advantage, the Diamondbacks. Hope they realize that. Um they don't seem to be using it though. So <laughs> not yet. We'll see. We'll see. Beyond me. <laughs> yeah. Dylan Bundy signed a $5 million contract with the Twins <clears throat> with an $11 million team option. Interesting. So if he pitches well, he's back with the Twins for $11 million the next year. That's um, just we're hoping you return to 2020 format, which was obviously boosted by sticky stuff for a number of reasons that I won't get into. But yeah, it's incentivized is what it is, right? And the Twins bring in um, you know, a back-end starter, the potential to be more. They can get him for two years, 16, if he's good, which is pretty affordable. So they need another starter. They still need more starters, but it's something for the Twins. Natural and, side. I mean, the Twins, I think, would be one of the few teams that would actually offer him a contract as well because I don't see too many other teams giving him a contract. The Angels certainly wouldn't, I don't think. 
because I think they're trying to move past that generation pitching that they once had. Yeah, probably smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nick Martinez, who pitched for the last three to four years in Japan, was one of the best pitchers in Japan last season, signed a four-year, $20 million deal with the Padres with opt-outs after the first and second years. So a really nice contract for him. Funny thing about that contract is it hasn't actually become official yet. I saw because that. Because they yeah. didn't get the paperwork in before 11.59 last – two nights ago. Uh, 11.59 on Tuesday night, I think it was. Wednesday night, actually. Wednesday, Wednesday night, yes. Yes, you're right. Um, but, yeah, so funny. I, I have no doubt that once the lockout's over, they will, um, you know, re officialize that contract or actually officially sign it, whatever you whatever term you want to use to describe it. But I just thought that'd be funny to point out. But, yes, of course, Padres are willing to spend money, lots of it. Um, and they've also been – I mean, they, they signed uh, Kim last year. They seem to be interested in these – um, Asian imports. Um, I hope that's the proper term to describe no, them. That's fine. But, that's fine. Okay. Yes. I already screwed up once today. So yeah, I wouldn't call this screw up, but still you were <laughs> teasing me about it. So, um, but anyways, um, you know, we've seen them, you know, take an interest in these players and I'm sure it'll work out. And again, you have, there's opt-outs within this contract, which are pretty, I think they're pretty common, um, with these, um, foreign contracts i guess you can call them yeah um, which is interesting so he um he just got a ball out for one year and right. if he doesn't and he comes back the second year and he balls out then he can just go back onto the mlb free agent market now as a legitimate starting pitcher no question of what he can do here versus what he's done in japan and he can get a real contract similar to miles mikolas uh so yeah good for him absolutely Absolutely. And then uh, last couple moves here. Jordan Lyles signed with the Orioles for $7 million with the club option. So, again, a filler. That's uh, getting someone to come in and, and take some innings off of the rest of the young rotation. They got some really good pitching prospects coming. So, you know, I have no problems with that. You can bring him back next year if he's okay. Or we could flip him at the trade deadline, whatever you want to do. And then the Phillies signed Yoan Camargo for a little over $1 million. Again, filler, bench spot, pinch hitter, not going to start for you. Hardly started for the Braves. So, I mean, you know. But, yeah, I mean, the last, I guess, 10 minutes have just been not as exciting as, uh, you know, not as exciting moves as the previous uh, half an hour, 40 minutes. Not sure how long it was. but. Um, yeah, I mean, they're all just depth moves. Nothing really um, exciting or groundbreaking for me personally. Um, but, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's pretty much, uh, you know, players got to sign some contracts with some bad teams. You got to fill some spots, and, and that's what happened. And uh, still a ton of players on the market um, whenever this lockout eventually ends. So – We'll have pretty much another the, – the offseason will be two very short stints of nonstop action, I pretty much feel like. Yeah. And um, until then, you know, we'll still be here. We'll still be recording podcasts. We'll give you some alternate content 
We'll talk about some other stuff we don't usually get to talk about because we have all this downtime essentially. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll still be here. We'll still put out some stuff and uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's going to be the last news episode pretty much for quite a while, but uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed and uh, Mike will be back next time and uh, hope to see you then. Thank you.